Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin' series, a month-long event celebrating the authors and narrators that bring romance stories to life. Listen along as Viviana, Enchantress of Books, interviews your favorite writers and voices, share special guest posts, and stay tuned for some special information at the conclusion of the episode. Hi, everyone. Today, I had the pleasure of chatting with guest author TJ London. Welcome to the Audiobook Lovin', TJ. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, my lady, the enchantress of books? Ah, I love it when you say that. <laughs> I am fighting a cold, so I apologize if I sound like this. And um, you might hear me chewing a little bit on a cough drop because, ouchie, my voice, he hurt tea. But, um, mm. but I'm, other than that, I'm fabulous. I'm talking to you, which is like my girl crush. And, and you know... Um... <laughs> That's exciting. I'm like, oh my gosh, is that girl crush? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So before we get into all that fun stuff, why don't you, um, and that way other people can, you know, have you as a girl crush too. Why don't you tell us a little about yourself, how long you've been writing and how you got into it? Oh, oh my gosh. Let me think about, you know, you hit me with this question. This should be the easiest one, right? But it feels like actually kind of like a hard question. Um, okay. Well, I actually wrote my first, whatever, my first foray into writing when I was like in second grade, I wrote this little poem and it got like in a local city, like, um, magazine that they did for Christmas. And it was like Christmas poems and stuff like that. And I, when I was a kid, I decided I wanted to be a writer, but I had these very smart parents who are like, no, no, you must go into medicine or you must be a lawyer. So I kind of like suppressed my dreams of being an author. Um, although I, I actually did write a hockey story, a hockey love story when I was like 15 or 16. I actually did. I still have it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Uh, but then I, I went to college once. And when I went to college the first time, I was too busy partying. I didn't do any writing. Um, and then I went to college twice my second time. And in between semesters, I was lame and very adult at that time and stayed in my house and actually wrote during that time and really kind of started dabbling in writing, but like never with the intent of doing anything about it. Um, and then that computer got thrown away with that story on it by my husband. It's a long story, but needless to say, he's very lucky that I'm a nice woman and I forgave him because we're still married. <laughs> um, but uh, yes, I know really, we were digging around in a dumpster looking for that computer. Uh, we got into a huge fight and he threw it away. It's a long story. But probably the best thing that happened to me because the original version of the Tory was on there. And then flash forward again to, oh, about, well, now, six years ago, um, I kind of had, as I've talked about in other meetings and discussions, um, I talked about, uh, I, I had this, this thing that happened in my life, right? In my working environment, um, I was harassed basically um, out of my job for coming forward about something that had happened in the work environment um, and really had to, was forced out of my job. And there was also some very traumatic things happening in my personal life and started going to counseling. And at that time, my counselor was like, okay, Tracy, you know, like, to deal with all this nervous energy you have. So either it's like medication or you need to like paint or something. Well, if anyone's seen any of my paintings, it's terrible. I'm not even like a remotely a bad Van Gogh. Um, so I started writing again. And it was interesting because I looked at my husband, I came home and I was like, okay, I had a World War II story and a revolutionary war story on a computer you threw away 20 years ago, asshole. Um, which one should I write now that I have to go back and start writing again? And he's like, why don't you go for that Revolutionary War one? And, um, and so then I started writing. And so that was about, like I said, six years ago and probably about mm, three years ago, I was at uh, RT or four years, which we, I think we met yeah, there. We, Isn't met that, there. Yeah. we did. 
And, um, and, and I ended up meeting Kathy Robin, who is a reviewer actually for RT, mm-hmm. but she was part of a, of a writing program that RT was putting on. And we got together and I gave her my stuff and I was like, okay, nobody clearly wants this or likes it, but tell me what you think of it. And she read it and she loved the Tory, which was the original Tory. And so that's how I kind of got into writing mm-hmm. um, or back into it per se. I guess I've been in it at different phases of my life, but um, how I actually got into it again. And then I became determined to publish it just to prove the people who had really screwed me over um, in my job um, that I could, I don't know, that I could survive, that I could overcome. It was some, it was, there was something in me that was just consumed that I needed to put the book out just to kind of prove that they hadn't gotten the best of me by what had happened. So, um, so here I am now, what, four books later, right? And I'm on book five. So yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. It is so interesting and funny how you know we've always said it you know the it's a small world and um, that we actually met at RT yes. years ago and I clearly remember because I was like when I the name just wasn't matching but then I saw a photo of you and I'm going oh you're the you're the one and this is one of those because <laughs> I remember because you had this the same hairstyle but it was just so like unique look and I was like damn she's hot you know oh you know but it's just one of those things like you walk by and you were so sure of yourself and that's like I go I want to be like that when I grow up you know um but yeah it's all a facade yeah it's a facade (laughs) well don't they say fake it until you own it you know kind of a thing so fake it until you make it yes yes someone once said that with me to me with my name on the cover and if you look at the original version of the Tory my name is very small on the cover and then when I started working with Demanza they put my name huge on the cover I'm like wow you guys believe in fake it till you make it so uh (laughs) (laughs) but I'm like now look at fast forward not chatting and you know, five books in and then a bunch more coming out that will uh, continue to, um, you know, get there. And then maybe, maybe a hockey romance down the line. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that hockey. Well, you know, here's a few things. I also have a very funny chiclet, which we're going to get into later um, when we talk about some of the other stuff I know is coming later in this talk. Okay. Uh, but I have a chiclet I wrote about an event that happened in my life. So I'll save that for okay, later good, and, okay, okay. And, and tell you a bit about about that when we get there. <laughs> well, we'll see, I was hinting, I was hoping like maybe you should get the hint about the hockey. <laughs> well, actually I have a time travel romance. See? I have a time travel thriller romance um, that has its root in the American Revolution, but also flashes forward to Detroit in the 2000s because I'm a Detroiter. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I actually have a time travel one that that is sitting in, in Tracy's like no man's land brain, uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, the books that you've written so far are part of the Rebels and Redcoats saga. And I love that yeah. it says saga versus series because you know, the definition of a saga is it's a long involved story, accounts, and series of incidents. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the saga that you've written for those that may not have started yet or have just started? Okay. Hey, um, <laughs> so I, I love sagas too. And the reason I write I write saga as opposed to series as I am a, like a, a disciple of John Jakes. So I don't know if you know John Jakes. Mm-hmm. Um, he did North and South, the Civil War drama, mm-hmm. which eventually was a TV show with like Patrick Swayze, which most of us remember that story. Um, but before that, he did a, ser- a saga called The Bastard. And it was his, um, it was it was The Bastard, The Rebel, The Seekers. And I, I saw those as a child when probably I shouldn't have been, but I'm a, I'm a generation Xer. So our parents believed that you could watch whatever you wanted. Um, and, and, and they weren't home half the time because I was a latchkey kid. So, 
Um, and I saw those and loved the fact that the story kept going and going and going. So when I started writing, I really didn't have a plan. I just wrote for therapy. And that's really the truth, okay? So when I had this kind of completed section of my therapy, I, I ended up you know, realizing that you can't produce one book this long, and so you, you spread it out. So that kind of led towards it being a saga, right? But the truth is, is so it's a story really... It's about, well, underneath it is the story of what I was going through in my life, but I'm going to stick to the story itself. So it's the first three stories in the saga are about a character named Captain John Carlyle, and he is a British soldier who is surprisingly the hero of our American story. Now, the way the story is built is while the American story and the revolution is kind of the background, it, it it's an in integral part of the story, but it's not the only storyline. So there's a lot, cause I'm a, I'm a, like a greedy bitch. I want everything. I want love. I want really dirty sex. I want, you know, hot romance scenes. I want violent fights. I want to scare the crap out of the reader. Like I love it all, which is why I loved Outlander, which is why to some degree I loved, you know, The Bastard too as well. I want it all in a book. So when I was writing, I was writing with the aspect of I wanted it all. So again, it's a story of John Carlyle. And he, as we come into the story, he is at this very bad place. He's, you know, drinking himself into a, into a state, which we find out later on is kind of his habit, right? Um, he's a drinker and he, he likes his drugs and he likes his sex and he likes all those things. But why? Where, how did he get where he is? And what we find out ultimately is he was involved in um, in a, in a very um, tragic uh, situation that occurred um, in an in Oneida village. Um, and so we we start the story where he's been given kind of a second chance at life, right? And at his profession, once he's been demoted and he's kind of been cast down and basically the unfavorite soul of the of the British military, he now, you know, is kind of getting a chance to start over. He goes undercover and his job is really to find out you know, the situation with the Six Nations of the Iroquois and how, or the Haudenosaunee uh, Confederacy, which would be appropriately, more appropriately the name, and how, you know, what is their situation currently and how are they, you know, what is their mindset towards the British cause? Because the British really needed the uh, Native Americans to be a kind of an army to further theirs for what we're planning in terms of battle in New York, okay? So John goes undercover, and when he's undercover, ultimately, he meets Dallas McKesson, who is a half Oneida woman, but by definition, her, mo her mother was Oneida, her father is Scottish, but by definition, that makes her full Oneida, um, because it goes through, it's a matriarchal lineage. So she lives, she owns a tavern, and it's kind of a bad situation. She's got a bad rap in town. She's kind of known as a town whore, but we don't really know a lot about her history, only that some pretty bad things have happened to her. And she and John comes to stay undercover and she kind of meets him from the beginning and is enamored with him. He's he's beautiful. He's interesting and he's worldly. And she lives in the middle of nowhere, upstate New York. And so the story really starts there. And we follow, you know, not only their romance, but the truth unfolding of what John Carlyle did and how that bisects with McKesson's life and what we find is she was directly impacted. All the things that have happened to her, even around her, her reputation, have to do with his actions when he was eventually demoted. And so it's kind of this lover's battle. Will they make it work? Um, it's 
the story of the Battle of Fort Stanwix, as well as the Battle of Oriskany, which many people do not know. And in the background, I'm trying to show a little bit of the story of the Oneida people, which I was so um, enamored with as I did my research. So the saga continues on, though, into Man of War, which a lot of people ask me, where does Man of War come in? So Man of War is the prequel, okay? Um, and I wrote it forth because I wanted it forth. Not because I was being a dick and I didn't know, you know, I wanted to make y'all wait. You know, I, I mean, I, I can be a jerk, but that was not it. It was written forth because it was meant to tell you, okay, now here is how, you know, we find out throughout the story that her father and his two brothers, James and Dane, they had a falling out. And ultimately this argument between them led to a lot of what happened and directly impacted both Dallas and John's life. So how did that get started? And so Man of War is really about how that got started um, and will hopefully be um, narrated by the fabulous Nicholas Bolton, who I'm, I just, I adore. Um, and then the next story after that, we go back to the revolution and we pick up with Alexi's part of the story. And that is Dallas's cousin. And he is, a, by definition, a rebel, right? Um, and But he's also an adopted Oneida, which we're going to talk about how that happens in the story, how the Oneida would actually bring somebody into their tribe. But he's also an adversary of John Carlyle's. So we've been following him throughout the saga, and he's an adversary of John Carlyle's. But John doesn't go away either. He's in those stories too, and then eventually we will have more books with him. But it's just, like you said, it's an ongoing story that kind of has to go in in parts, you just have to kind of follow along with it. So um, yeah, I gave you a very long-winded version of what it is. <laughs> and thank you, because it's one of those sometimes people are, when it comes down to certain genres and how long a series is, sometimes people are a little afraid to get into it. You know, there's, yes. some, you know, there's some paranormal romance that I'm like, love to get into, but it's like 26 books and I'm going, huh. You know? No, I won't do 26 <clears throat> books. I, I am not, I, no. And no, but... I can tell the readers that they could start with Man of War if they wanted to before the Tory. They could do that, but they're going to spoil some of the story. But you could do that technically. Yeah. And that happens too sometimes where the author will be like eight books in and then they'll do a prequel to book four. And we're going, okay, well, you know, I am a believer of trusting the author. Right. When they decide to do things or when even when they kill a character or whatever. But, uh yes. Uh, it's okay. I'm trusting you guys as authors as to why I may not like you very much at that moment in time, but I'm trusting you. Uh <laughs> I'm not a mean bitch. I do not kill unless must be killed. Yes. So I, I don't do it for the sheer, like I want to F with my readers. Like I'm not, I don't roll that way. I, I don't, I don't write for, uh, here's the thing. I write like no one's ever going to read one of my books. That's how I write. So whatever is there, it's because it, it was the, the story, the way that I would always want it, whether mm -hmm. like it or not, but I don't ever do it for, I'm a romantic at heart. So I don't ever kill unless need to be killed, okay. I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. And that's hopefully how we try to envision you guys doing it versus those mugs of tears uh, that you guys are drinking from your mouth. <laughs> Or my bag of salty chips that I posted the one day yes. that that I think Dane did actually comment on my bag of like salty chips. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh God, yeah, it's so funny. Um, that that's a lot of um great storyline. So thank you for sharing uh, sharing that with us in that way. In case anybody was like, oh, okay, that's where it goes or this and that, people now have all that information. But you also mentioned that it's a lot of research. Yeah. Yeah. So obvious, and I would hope this is something, a time in, you know, a, a, 
a moment in time that you are actually also like. I mean, granted, it's not the best moments in time sometimes, but oh. you have to have done the research on it because, you know, it's a lot. Yes. 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 Do you want me to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Tell um, us a little bit about how, how is it that you go into this research mode and what does that entail for you and, and why? So, um, so first of all, um, personally to me, the French and Indian War, the, the French Revolution and the American Revolution are the only time periods. So for all you Regency people out there, bleh. <laughs> um, and for all you Victorian people out there, bleh. Um, I said that. Yes, I did. Um, I personally, um, it's, it's ridiculous how I love this period. Like the, I joke around, I call myself the mistress of the revolution, but my husband will tell you, I have pictures of the constitution framed around my house. And I have pictures of Alexander Hamilton, like framed in my office. I mean, I, I, I truly like am a displaced, um, I don't know, rebel or red coat, whichever one I would be. Um, I, I, the, the time period speaks to me in a way that, you know, like an artist canvas speaks to them. Mm -hmm. um, I just find so much in it that, that infuses like my understanding of politics today, my understanding of the world today, and just my love of writing. Like whenever I am lost as a writer, I can always find the story in the truth, in the history. And I let it always be my guide, no matter what I'm doing. So I, I will start with that as a caveat. Now, my, in my real profession, I am a researcher. Um, I publications and papers and in medical papers and those kinds of things. So research is really in my blood. Um, and it's something that I kind of get off on, you know, because that's what I had to do as a professional, right? Like in my real gig um, or my side hustle, whichever one you want to call it. Um, but so for me, like I, I, I have my hashtag waistcoat porn, um, but that is I, know, I, I, am, I am. I'm secretly trying to get the the waistcoat porn to come the waistcoat to come back because I think it is the best piece of clothing ever. All 13 buttons worth of anticipation, as I say. Um, but honestly, my research really starts with, you know, and especially with the Tory. You know, I just literally I love the American Revolution. I always read a lot about it. It's gone back to when I was a child, and it really started. I loved the clothing and the look of the time. Mm -hmm. And then the more that I studied it, the more I loved the idea of the change that was going on in the world that ultimately impacted so much, right? We're here as Americans because of that time period. You know, and and so I, I just really fell in love with the idea of the radicalism, of the rebelness of it, of the, you know, do your own thing, be your own man or woman, whatever you want to call. And so when I was researching for the Tory, I really bought just a bunch of books. I mean, now I probably have over five, 600 books on the American Revolution. Believe it or not, there are that many. I mean, even more. Mm -hmm. Not that many in fiction, but there are a ton in biography and those kinds of things. So I started by really reading broad and then working my way in. And, and within it, I found the story of the Oneida, of the Oneidas um, and the Haudenosaunee um, a confederacy better known as the, the six nations of the Iroquois. And I was like, why don't I know this story? Like, how do I not know about these people? Like, mm -hmm. why don't I? And so I became almost as obsessed with them as I was with the revolution. Um, and just bought anything and everything I could find all the way down to, um, um, a thesis as people wrote uh, about them, as well as about this period of the American Revolution and, and, and the Battle of Oriskany. And so after that, I told my husband, okay, we're going to drive to upstate New York and we're going to go see these forts. Now, mind you, these are probably forts that only the enthusiasts ever go see. Like who goes to Stanwicks? Like who goes to Fort Ontario, right? Mm -hmm. But here I am, Tracy with her mohawk, comes barreling in with my headset and my music. And I'm like, yes, I'm at Fort Niagara. You know, and the guys there are like, whoa, this girl's really excited. Um, but I was, and um, I would walk through the fort 
with my headset on, usually with David Bowie music going, because either David Bowie or U2, because they really feed my soul, and would just let my, just try to become the moment. And I, 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 there's a scene in the the trader where they're dancing, where her and Delancey are dancing in the ballroom, where Delison are, and that really came to me as I listened to "As the World Falls Down" by David Bowie from Labyrinth, and the scene just came to me, and so I took the history that I knew, went to the location, and tried to let it infuse me with whatever spiritual or muse energy was there, and so, um, and then I, I also infused it with what was going on in in my counseling. So what that focus was, right? So really the research comes down to what, when I'm reading, what, what sparks that interest, that sparks that muse. And then I go down that rabbit hole. And then sometimes I get down a rabbit hole, like how did a person, how did a woman, like, what did she do for her period during the 18th century? You know, and sometimes it goes down to what exactly did he wear under that kilt, you know? And then other times it, you know, it goes down the road of like, what were some of these words that, you know, that belonged to the Oneida and, you know, what did they wear and what did their tattooing look like? And so it, it takes a lot of work. I'm not going to lie to you. Every day is research. Every day you figure out something you didn't know. Um, I often find myself even going back and correcting things. Mind you, I'm not a historian. I'm not a specialist in the time period. I don't have some big publicity firm behind me. It's just me checking me, double checking me, triple checking me. And um, But I try to be as pure to the history and to my story as I can be within reason, right? Because I don't want to like, I'm not writing a straight historical. I'm writing a historical fiction with romantic elements. So I try to mix it in to, to take the reader to a place, to a time and to make them think and question. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, I, again, I gave you a long-winded answer, but truly it's just, it's just pages and pages of reading and making notes and over-reading and reading over again. To do Man of War, I probably read, oh my God, probably like 50 books on the Royal Navy. And then there's a couple really good movies everyone knows, Master and Commander but there's to the ends of the earth where I listened to the dialogue and listened to how they talked. And I even visited the HMS Victory in, in Portsmouth, walked the decks, talked to the staff, you know? Um, so yeah, and, and I just went to Boston and was doing that for one of my future books called The Minuteman. Um, and um, I walked the trail and, and just tried to become them again in my mind and, and, and hope that their spirit or their energy or whatever remains, you know, picks me um, to tell their story. And, and John Carlyle did, you know, I found him in, I found him in New York city and I found him in Fort Stanwix. And so he's here with me as, as a character now. So yeah. that's it. That's well, it's important to do the research to make certain things more believable. And some, some readers will nitpick on one thing or another. Yes. And, and that's also where from a recovering perfectionist, Thank you, Benjamin Charles, for that that new term. <laughs> yes, I am a recovering perfectionist too. Thank you yeah. very much. <laughs> and it's just one of those things where I, I don't like to half-ass things. And so the research uh, you know, aspect of things is always fascinating. And when it even comes down to some of those little things that you were saying, when what, what did the ladies do with the period? But also, I mean, you see it in historical fictions like Pride and Prejudice and, and now, you know, Bridgerton, when it comes down to the sexy times and all those buttons. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And like how, how, like 
how did you really get under her skirts? Let's be honest, Shelly. I mean, it's like, you know, she, 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 I mean, you can imagine. Yeah, all those layers, right? Yeah. Like, so I love Turn, the TV show, right? Everybody knows that. And there's a scene where they're getting busy, like in the middle of a party, and he's got supposedly something's going on with his hand and her skirts. And I'm like, that wouldn't have been possible. Come on. She had that many layers on under there, okay? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I, you know, it's, there's a lot of logistics <laughs> that you have to think of when you're stripping down a guy in the 17, in the 1700s, right? Yeah. Um, but oh, how much fun it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you were saying how you're basically attracted to that time. But yeah. it's also not only the, uh, the not only the, the events of the time, but even the attire. Yes. What, what is it about the clothing? As a girl who also likes historical stuff when it comes down to clothing what is it for you that goes makes you go oh that waist coast you know <laughs> oh the long hair and the cues yeah. and then the long coats with the skirts and the waistcoat and the breech <laughs> I mean, I, i'm like i'm going through it all i'm like the breeches and the waistcoat um i i love well, the women's clothing, I think, is elegant. I can't stand Regency women's clothes. I hate empire dresses. They're not good on anybody. Not never, no, ever. Not good mm -hmm. on anyone. Um, and I'm sorry to all you Regency fans out there. I know y'all hating on me right now. I mean, you're all beautiful people. I have tons of friends who love Regency and, and more power to you. But I love the dropped waistline. And I loved the 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 way that the dresses looked with the, you know, the 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 English, the Polonaise style skirts or the you know, the English coats or, you know, that kind of look. I love the look of the dresses and the big hair with the hair rolls. I think that that was something so romantic about it. For me, I, I love the men because the clothing is almost, has a, a feminine a bit about it, right? It's the longer skirts on the coats and their clothing, you know, the, the waistcoats are kind of fitted. They come down all the way to the hips, the, the buttons, the long hair, to me, it's just, and, and certainly the uniforms, girl. I love a man in a uniform, right? Mm -hmm. Like, don't we all? And and I, I confess there's something about red coats that really does kind of turn me on. I, I got to be <laughs> honest with you. Like, I mean, it, it, there is a scene in, in, in uh, the, the trader where Celeste says, you know, I'll even let you wear your red coat. Well, you know, she's referring what they're going to do. And I'm like, that was all me. That was totally me. Um, but I, I I just love the all of that. Like when the hair got shorter and the sideburns got longer, I was like, meh. I don't like that look. Um, and, you know, certainly I wasn't into the Henry VIII where he's wearing his leggings and his big tunic. Like, don't want to see all that in a pair of leggings, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's definitely those things. And it's certainly the waistcoat, I got to be honest with you. Yeah. That really does. That that kind of is a selling point for me. But I do love the long hair. I love the cute look. Now the wigs, okay, we can leave the wigs behind. That was no, never, no. there was nothing, yeah. there was nothing good about that. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, that, I, that's probably it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the things too, that when I first, um, saw the Tory come across me there, you know, my, my feed was the cover. Ah. It was very, <laughs> it's different, it, it, but at the same time, it's sophisticated and it, it says a lot with not a lot on it. But then also same thing with the trader and the turncoat and even the man of war. I'm going, I love the colors. There's a feel to it. Um, the font's fantastic. But you were very involved. Yeah, I designed all of them, yes. actually. So um, it's kind of funny. Um, the gentleman in all the covers, his name is Brian. Oh, he's a dish too. He is my, he was my drug rep. Um, who worked with me at a company, right? So like, I always wanted to get my hands on him. Well, I officially got my hands on him in a cover. Um, <laughs> I was not supposed to appear on the covers actually. And those are actually my hands on the first two covers, um, man's hands that they are. Um, but I, 
there was supposed to be a cover model. And at the last minute, she backed out. Um, so when we were actually shooting it, I had to step in, right? Because I was the only woman there. Um, but I actually designed the cover. So um, I am I am just a control freak that way. Um, and I don't, you know, more power to everybody who likes a half-dressed guy on their cover. I mean, they do sell books and God bless them. Those are what they're trying to do. That's a romance. What I wanted to send the message on the cover was that there's something mysterious about the story. There's definitely going to be something sexy about it. And there's going to be something dark. And I'm obviously wanting to get across the American Revolution, right? Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to hide a secret in every one of the covers too. Um, and the titles are actually oxymorons by definition. He's not a Tory. He's a British soldier. Was he really a traitor when you get to the end of the book? And certainly, is he a turncoat when you get to the end of the book, right? Um, so there was a lot of innuendo that I wanted to put into it. So I couldn't find anyone to produce the cover what I wanted. So I said, well, then I'm just going to do it myself. Like, and you know, ignorance is bliss when you're a new author. You don't realize how much it's going to cost or how you're going to do it. You just get this brilliant idea that you're going to do it yourself. Um, so I hired a gentleman who is just lovely. His name is Steve. And he is just quite frankly, the most brilliant artist, but he's not a photographer. So he was like, okay, Trace, we're, we're going to do this though. And, and he did, and we shot the covers. So the original version of the Tory cover, which you probably have all seen originally was literally us on a green screen. And I rented that costume from a Broadway company and Brian got dressed up and we shot it. And I picked the coloring, the shading, the original lettering, everything. When we got to the traitor cover, I wanted to allude to the most important scene in the book where she unmasks him. She finds out the truth of who he is, but there's also a masquerade party that takes place in the book, right? So um, that became the cover of the traitor. And then the turncoat, well, I don't wanna say too much about it because that's not out in audio yet, mm -hmm. um, but it's supposed to allude to what decision does he make? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, which way is he going to go? And the answer is in the cover, but I'm not gonna tell anybody, you have to wait. So, and then Man of War was, um, Man of War, uh, Man of War was really me working with Demanza. My, I had just picked up Demanza at that time when I did Man of War and they're nothing short of brilliance. And I told them what I wanted. I said, I want it to be sexy, but no half-dressed man. Mm -hmm. I wanted to say the grittiness of the story because that's a very gritty, dark story. Um, make no mistake about that. It's very great, gritty and dark, but I wanted it to have a bit of romanticism about it. So we really worked on that cover together and, and came up with it. After that, I went back and had Demanza do the update that you see now on the covers. So, um, and they just changed the lettering and did the look. But yeah, I actually designed all the covers and, um, you know, I, I love them so hard. I mean, I really, really do. They get across what I, what I want to. And um, I'm just grateful for everybody who was, who were like, okay, this woman's a control freak, but she knows what she wants and we're going to work with her instead of like saying, hell no, I don't want to work with you. Um, they, they really embraced what I was trying to do. And it's hard because there aren't a lot of revolutionary war books. So there's really not a lot of revolutionary war pictures. Yes. So I couldn't find anything I liked um, that really spoke the time period. Mm -hmm. So that's what it really came down to. I, I just couldn't find what I wanted. So yeah. But also sometimes there are some photos out there, whether it's not just the major stock imaging sites, but even some of the photography sites. And I look at that, I'm going, that's not the right sword for that outfit, you know, or there's something wrong or like they didn't have their hair that way. And so there's, it's like, how much more work is it for me to remove that sword or do the hair? And it's never going to look the right way because hello, you know, but I love your covers. And then I did learn that those that you were, you know, that you had done it. And then the, the, your hand. So you're also like now a cover model. 
<laughs> in, a, in a very small way, but you can't see my head. And there's a, the reason you can't see my head is because of my hair, right? Like the mohawk would be just like stand out. And, uh, so actually that's the reason you never see the woman on, you know, the woman's head on the cover. Naturally on the second cover, it's Dallas, right? Like we're assuming because they're dancing. Yeah. Um, but on the first cover, you know, we don't know if that's Celeste or Dallas, right? But um, the truth is the reason you don't see my head is it, the woman's head or any of her hair is because mine is so like kind of notorious and not time appropriate. <laughs> but it's great. I love it. It's just, there's enough sexiness in that, like even when your hand is right up against the coat and pulling it apart, you're going, yes. It's yeah, just those and I, things, you know? Yeah, and I wanted to, well, the funny thing is too, with the way the book opens, you know, you're kind of like, wham, bam, he's in bed with a woman at the beginning. I believe in like holding no bar. Like we need to let everybody know right up front what you're going to get. There's going to be violence and there's going to be sex in this book. If you don't like it, don't buy it. There you go. Um, so it was kind of like, I wanted to allude to that a little bit on the cover. This is a dark story. You know, this is going to have some sensuality in it. Like this is not your, this is not an everyday, ordinary, normal, like, you know, just going to be a straight historic fiction. This is going to take you a little different journey. And, and and like I said, I love historic fiction that that does, you know, it's, you know, what it's doing, right? Like, I think that that's fantastic. I love historic fiction. But I also love historic fiction that kind of crosses the genre because I do love historic romance too. Um, so I, I, I want it to be a little bit of both because like I said, I'm a greedy bitch that way. I want it all. So, you know. I love that about you though because I, <laughs> it's just one of those sometimes, you know, we I, I like, like, here's a little tidbit of me when it comes down to food, sometimes I don't want to have a full on meal. I'd much rather have a bunch of like appetizers. Yeah. Go because I like to style. pick a little bit, you know? Yeah. You know, cause I want a little bit of everything. So that is, it's inclusive of my books. And so that's one of the things that really drew me to you and your, and your books is that you get a little bit of everything. You get the action and the adventure and then seeminess and the, the, the conversations. And it's just, again, a little bit of everything, but your covers are just like, Thank it. you. You know, that means a lot to me because I mean, it really means a lot. It's like I'm verklempt right now. I'm like getting all choked up um, because I really am not, I don't ever see myself as being an artist artist, like in that way, mm -hmm. you know, I just know what I want and I have a vision and I've been so blessed because from my editors to my cover artists, to the audio flow, and then certainly the people that I've worked with, they've really like, grabbed onto the vision the way that I've seen it and and have owned it. So I've been very blessed. And, and that's one of the reasons I embrace being an indie for myself. Like it was right for me with the level of control that I, I have. Like I'm a control freak. And like I said, I make no bones about that. And so I've been very fortunate along my career that people have really embraced it. So thank you. That means a lot to me because my covers to me are very I, I take them very seriously because I'm a cover whore. Like, I'll be honest with you, like some books I see the cover, I'm like, oh man, I got to get that book. Like yeah. I gotta open it up and I'm like, oh, I don't even like this, but I mm -hmm. love that cover, right? Like I am a cover whore. Mm -hmm. So I, I created the covers with the idea that if I saw them on the counter, I'd be like, huh, I wonder what that book's about. Well, yeah. definitely the Re American Revolution, but what else, right? Yeah. So good. no, and it's, it's really the, the, it's to me, it's like, especially like the Man of War one, I was like, that would look nice over my mantle, you know? Oh, just, thank you. You know, it's just a, a little bit of everything. You know, you have the flag, you have the guy who almost looks at you like he's looking at you like wants to eat you, but I don't see his eyes. So I don't know how that's happening, but okay, I'm going right. to go with that feeling, you know? Yes. I love the headless man. It's my thing. I, I will never have a head on any of my characters. And the <laughs> reason I, and there's actually a reason for that. So I, 
I see John Carlyle and, and Merrick, who is the character in Man of War, the way that I see them. And I never want them pictured unless it's the person I actually picture in my head, right? right. So until J.J. Field decides he wants to be on the cover of any of my books, you know, that's who I see as John Carlyle, right, in my mm-hmm. head. Um, there will be no man's head on the cover of my book. Um, and so I, I, I have this, like, obsession with Toby Stevens. I don't know if you know who he is. Do you know who he is? Toby Stevens? No, I'm good, but I'm going to look. So did you ever see um, uh, Black Sails? It's on my list of things. to. He watch. was the captain on Black Sails. He was he's got red hair. He's Dame Maggie Smith's son. Like he's a dish. OK. And like that much of a dish. OK. And uh, he's British also. And so Merrick to me is him. Right. Mm-hmm. So when they found that model who looked kind of like a little bit younger version of him, I'm like, oh, my God, he belongs on my cover. Um, and I, I salivated over him. Right. When I saw the man of war cover. And the funny thing is I was at a work event, like a really serious, like other hustle work event. And that cover like came in my email and I opened it up and like, I, I had to like constrain my meltdown at this table full of people. Like I'm in a boardroom oh, full of people. My God. And I'm like holding it and secretly texting my editor. Oh my God, check out this freaking picture. You know? So, um, so yeah, thank you. I, man of war. Demands. They are, I mean, I have to give all the props to them. They just, my visions to a whole nother level. They are amazing. So when it comes down to the saga and there's so many different things going on as far as the action and the sex and the violence and stuff like that, was there a scene that was particularly hard for you to write in general? Um, Is it the sex <laughs> scene? Because like a lot of authors will say the sex <laughs> Which scene Which one hard. wasn't? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. Well, actually, it's funny. Everybody knows my sex scene story because I've disclosed that those come to me early in the morning. John Carlyle visits me in my dreams early in the morning. He's like, here's your sex scene, my darling. Write me now um, when I have to go to work. Um, so I usually have to like dictate and write it down on a piece of paper. And God, and God forbid my husband finds him somewhere and he's like, what the hell was she writing last night? Um, but um, the hardest scenes... Um, yes, there were a couple and, you know, I'm sure every author is reduced to tears when she writes, um, uh, or he, forgive me, she, he or she, um, but when in the trader, there is a scene, you know, and again, the book comes from a very personal place. I wrote it in counseling mm-hmm. and, um, in the trader, there is a scene where, um, and, and many of my readers will know this and sorry, I'm spoiling a bit for those who haven't read or listened yet. Maybe this might intrigue you where John Carlyle is looking himself in the mirror and he has a bottle in one of his hand and he's kind of facing himself and hating himself. And in the background, he sees the spirits of the women who died in the, in, in the village. And he's kind of possessed by them in that moment, but it's really more about what he sees in the mirror, what he doesn't like in himself. And it's about me, what I saw in my mirror and what I didn't like about myself. And when I was at this moment of, I was really on the edge of deciding whether I wanted to do something very drastic to myself or whether I wanted to continue on in this world. Like, I I mean, truly that's where I was. And so I, I was at that moment. um, And obviously thank God things changed and I turned my life around and, and got counseling. But when I was writing that scene, it was me revisiting that in the truest way, because I was really unable to ever really confess that to my counselor. I just never told her exactly what happened. I just told her that I got to that place. So I wrote that in this scene and gave it all the anger and passion and hurt that I could. And 
it makes for a moment in the book where you really see how far this man has fallen, right? And how far I had fallen in my own life. And um, I remember one of my first editors told me, oh, that scene's not needed in the book. And obviously she's not my editor anymore um, because I was like, no, that, that can't go anywhere. But what was very interesting about it is when it was actually narrated by Shane, um, Shane East, who, who narrates uh, John Carlyle and the Tory and the Traitor, um, he really became John in that moment um, and delivered it almost exactly as I heard it in my head. And it was like being triggered. And I hate that word triggered, but it was literally like being triggered listening to him because it was like taking me back to that moment where I looked myself in the mirror and I said, you know, do I want to kill myself or not? Like, do I want to do this? Do I want to continue living? And so it was like reliving that moment and the writing of it again. And it, I just broke into hysterical tears. Um, and I, every time I listen to it, 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 um, it, it, it's very triggering. It takes me back to that place. So yes, it was very hard to write, but it needed to be written because I needed to reckon with that side of myself and the journey that had brought me to that moment. So I'm, I'm most proud of that scene and most terrified of that scene, to be very honest with you. Mm-hmm. Well, it's self-reflection is yes, exactly. Difficult. It's difficult. And when you're in that moment and that's, you know, I've had friends that I've lost in those, you know, having that question yeah. as far as and choosing the opposite. Um, so it's hard. Yeah. So I can only imagine having to, to write it out, but I'm glad that, you know, you're here and that, uh, <laughs> I am too. And you know what, and that's uh, part of the reason I'm so vocal about the journey and about my counseling, because writing was my savior. Um, truly it brought me back from the edge it saved me. Um, and it really, really did not only my counselor, but, but writing Mm -hmm. and this character, John Carlisle, um, and Dallas too, as well. He was my company when nobody else could understand what I was going through. He Mm -hmm. understood. So I have an emotional, um, tie to him. I think that is beyond the, probably the normal author love. He and I are kind of, we're, we're one, he is me. Um, so I, I definitely, you know, I have a lot of emotion wrapped up in him and I'm very hard on, uh, on myself and on him as a character when he's interpreted, you know, obviously, um, by, by, by narrator, right. But also within the story, um, Mm -hmm. I, I I try to always, um, I have a very particular eye, um, always on him as a character, I guess. So, but yes, it it was, I, I'm, the book was my savior and writing can be your savior. And Mm -hmm. it was for me and it can be for many people. It's very healing. It was very healing for me and still is. So on the flip side of that, what's your favorite type of scene to write? Do you have one? like those My favorite like- type of scene. Yeah. Yes, I do actually. Uh, usually mischief. Um, so <laughs> my favorite scene in the book is Dulles breaking into the whorehouse, a Celeste whorehouse. Um, oh my God. I like had justify my love by Madonna playing because I had that all playing out in my mind. I'm like, oh yeah, I see. Remember that video from the nineties, justify my love. And she yes. got into the, in the boudoir and we're walking down the hall, seeing all these naughty things happening. So I had that playing in, in my head and here I'm D, you know, I'm uh, basically taking this almost a virgin who's been through so many horrible things in her life. And I'm just going to ruin her life. Now I'm going to make her see all these bad things her man is into. <laughs> um, so I love to, I love to like shock the character, not the reader. I love to shock the character. Um, but I also love mischief. 
Um, the beginning of the trailer starts out with John ultimately getting bested by Alexi, our, one of our bad guys, right? And that's just a fun, mischievous scene. Um, but I also really love to write the really terrifying ones. Um, some of the Roger Delancey scenes, it's kind of like getting revenge <laughs> on those who cross you. Um, I did cut off a hand in the rebel. I reveled in it because somebody deserved to get it. Um, so I did cut off a hand, I confess, in the rebel. Um, and so I do, I, I do get to take a little revenge in some of those scenes. So I, I do like those too. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they again, therapeutic. Yeah, you know, do it and do it in your book as as long as you're saving it. If you're putting it on the page, you're not doing it in the real world, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> well, it's as a from a saga perspective, I think that because you have all these different things kind of happening and you can pick and choose as the books continue to evolve, a lot of it, like you mentioned earlier, um, secondary characters and sometimes we're like so and so going to get a story and this it could have been just that one time that he popped up in a pub or in a you know he was the mysterious person and we're like we want more you know how do you go about deciding or is it that the characters tell you like you know when he's coming to you in the morning do other characters tell you me next (laughs) how does that happen Well, I will be honest with you. Alexi McKesson um, <laughs> um, was never meant to have a book. As a matter of fact, I never liked Alexi. What was really interesting, what, and that's kind of how it happens with my secondary characters. Usually, like I start out not necessarily liking them. And over time, I'm like, oh, I kind of like this guy. You know what I mean? But not, they don't necessarily get a story, right? Um, Alexi was one of those things my editor fell in love with him from day one. She loves the tall, handsome, troubled kind of asshole, domineering, you know, male chauvinist kind of characters. She's like old school with her books, right? Uh, But I love her dearly. And so she was like, you got to write me an Alexi McKesson. And the interesting thing is when the audio came out, I really got a lot more attention for my books. And a lot of the fans were like, oh my God, I want to know more about Alexi. So it was kind of one of those things that I was like, okay, I probably should write a book about him, right? Um, And he probably, and he does have a lot of story to tell actually. So I think it comes partially from, you know, one, what people like, right? But I don't write to readers, let's be honest, but what people like, right? And what inspires me. And ultimately, Alexi has a lot of story and he's a very different man from John. So I was like, all right, Alexi, come to me, Muse, like open the door. And, And a lot of times you can try to open the Muse door, but it doesn't actually open. What opened first was Merrick. Um, Merrick was just like this beautiful red-haired god, my Eric the Red, my sailor. And he was like, I want you to write my story. Um, And so um, I had to take a detour from Alexi wrote Man of War. Um, and he, and, uh, and he delivered this beautiful story to me. So I'll be honest with you. He just stepped in, you know, he would been in the, the, the trader. He had been in the turncoat and suddenly he was like, now tell my story. Um, Seth, who is coming in the Minuteman, which is a one shot. Um, I'm just doing a one shot. So people who don't want to read the saga, but want to get into my stuff. Um, the Minuteman is, um, about Lexington and Concord. Seth actually comes from two different things. So I'm a total geek. I played D and D my whole life and I had an elf rogue whose name was Seth and he was badass. Um, and so I always wanted to write a character based off of him. And then somebody wants to ask me, they're like, how come Patrick Zeller only reads your bad characters? Huh? I want to hear him read somebody sexy and good. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
let me think about this now. And so late one evening, as I lay in my bed, like a story idea came to me and I'm like, oh, that's tough. And he could be Patrick Zeller if I begged him to do this narration. And then now we have Seth. So um, Seth will be the next book I write. So I'm taking a late break between The Rebel and The Renegade, which is Alexi's two parts of the saga. And I will be writing um, The Minuteman. And that will be about Seth. So um, we shall meet him in The Rebel. Nice. So it's really a little bit about the my muses, which one comes to me, you know, um, which one feeds me. Um, and, you know, we still have Patrick to go, um, who's in the series. He will have a story. We have Gavin, John's brother. Um, and we also, you know, obviously have more John because he's always bitching in my head. He always wants his attention. Lord knows. Um, so he's, he's just like a man. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he's my, he's my plus one. basically. <laughs> he's my plus one on top. I am my husband and then my plus one. So yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, so now that we know that we have the question about Patrick narrating a good guy and that Seth is yeah. going to be having his own book. Do you think or feel that you'll be writing that now more having Patrick in your head as far as how he oh, sounds? Oh, hell yeah. Right? <laughs> okay. Like, come on. Like, okay. I, I'm going to tell a quick story. I know I'm like totally hogging this conversation, but- No, you're good. Um, <laughs> I, I heard, so when we were doing the clips for my second live, okay. And I told you this kind of earlier, but I think I need to retell it because it's mm -hmm. good, I think it's a good story. So Patrick- good Lord. He sends me these lovely, lovely answers to my ridiculous questions I sent him. Right. And I, and him talking in his real voice, I'm like, Oh my God, this man has got the most delicious voice. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not one of those women who's totally into voices. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not. Okay. But like, he has a delicious voice, like his real voice. Okay. And I'm listening to it, like going, Oh my God, Oh my God, this is so amazing. And then he kind of slips into a Delancey voice as he's answering some of the questions. I'm like, Oh my God, he's doing Delancey now. And uh, the gal I was working with see, to make these clips, she's like, would you focus? focus. And I'm too busy going, oh my God, Patrick Zeller. Um, so um, I'm a huge fan of his. I'm a huge, huge fan of his work. Um, and, you know, while I don't know him very well, um, I, I, I've certainly met him a couple of times and he's, he's just lovely. Um, and he's so thoughtful and meticulous about his work. Um, so he, he just like, yeah, I have him in my head for like, I'm like, okay, here is Seth. And like, as I, and Seth says some ridiculous things. Like John is funny, but Seth is ridiculous. Um, so I, I'm just imagining like Patrick dropping some of these really ridiculous lines and it's it's quite fantastic. So um, Patrick, keep that in mind, it's coming. Um, so, and I, and I certainly have a narrator in mind for Alexi too. Um, and I confess, I hear him as I write my naughty scenes. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> I can't wait. And I sit there and like, you know, bounce up and down in my chair and clap my hands with excitement. I, I confess I do. Audio has ruined me a bit for what I hear in my head now. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's even those, those moments where I know that someone's been cast and I'm reading the book because I can't wait because the, the story, hello, it's about the story, you know, um, but I'll hear them if I know who they are as I'm reading or as the, the, you know, sometimes you get the audiobook first for book one, but then the author gets book two out, but the audio hasn't come out yet. So I'm like, give me, yeah, I'm not so hearing, you know, so it, it happens. Yeah, Tara Langella, like I only hear her now as Della. It's just like Marnie. Yeah. Like I only hear Marnie as, oh, she's so deliciously evil too, right? Yes. Um, and I only hear them now. So they've kind of 
ruined me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I, I'm fortunate to have been ruined by such fantastic voices, you know, and, uh, and, and I have Nicholas and Drew and Shana. So yeah, they've all kind of like ruined like the voices in my head. Um, there's only one that he is always the same, but it's different because the relationship between me and the character is just, it is different. But, um, but otherwise, you know, yeah, I hear them all in my head and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, you're right. I hear it. Yeah. Patrick is. So I've, I've announced it already on the lineup. I just haven't figured out when things are landing because it depends on the schedule but i did get a chance to talk to patrick so thank you for hooking oh me up God. with him and oh I, my goodness oh yes. my God. i totally like we, we ended up talking afterwards and I hung up i was like i love him yeah. you know like as a person he is I, so sweet and smart and like all the things that you were raving about i was like yep 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 he's just uh, thoughtful about yes. what he does and how he creates and you know and and so generous with his his comments about the book and and what he does you know i just I'm, I'm a huge fan. He is, mm-hmm. I tell, I told him in an email once I'm like, dude, you're a dark horse. You're a dark horse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean it, he is a dark horse. Like he's just, he's brilliant. He's yeah. just brilliant. Yeah. But he's yeah. funny because, Oh so, yes. Oh my God. And like mischievous funny too, because so we do these things for those that don't know, um, you know, we use zoom to record these conversations, but we usually have the camera off and you can in zoom have a logo or a picture and he's a good looking guy. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He is. And so he likes, you know, he's he's there. He's like, oh, we're having cameras on or off. How do you like that picture? (laughs) I was like, fuck. (laughs) You know, like a good one. I'm like, that that's that's a mighty fine picture. Thank you. It was him in a suit. You know. Oh my goodness! I I have never seen that before. Right? You know, his lucky wife. Go, girl. You got. I know that. Yes. I'd be like making him, I'd be like making him talk like all during dinner and while we took a shower and, you know, I'd be like, come on, just keep talking to me. Yeah, like, just like, don't how shut was up. Day? Keep... Tell me the long version. <laughs> She's probably like, shut your pie hole. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's one of those things where I, I'm, what I want to do is have one of these conventions where the narrators go, but the narrators bring their, their partners and just grab the partners and take them out to the bar and have the conversation. I'm like, okay, so all these other people here are going Google Gaga over your spouses and partners because of their voice tell me how is it that you deal with the voices and just have that fun conversation because it's just one of those like it'll be interesting to see what the their their you know their partners think about that whole idea yeah yeah I mean, if they're like, you know, shut your pie hole I'm done listening to you don't yeah. give me that voice don't try that on me you know I mean, that might work with your author friends or your fans but not me buddy I told you right, to clean the bathroom <laughs> I'm no longer like glamored by you. Don't even try it anymore. Exactly. But no, he was phenomenal. And I cannot wait um, to get that episode out. But thank you for hooking me up with him. And I actually discovered him through your books because I hadn't heard. I think he may have come up here like a Patrick, you know, one of those, you like a whisper, Patrick, you know, and I'm going, whatever. There's too many authors, too many books, not enough time. But then I heard him in your book. And then those little things that you were doing on social media with him. And I'm going, oh, and looked him up and grabbed a couple of books. And, and now I'm like totally in love with him. So I, you know, he, I heard his voice and I didn't listen to another Delancey when I was listening to the, to the auditions. I was just like, oh my God, that's Delancey. Mm-hmm. Like it was just, he was that brilliant, but I'm like, what does he really sound like? And I remember the first time I heard him, I'm like, oh, well, he's amazing. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think yeah. he's great. 
and it, it's true too that you would mention how he sounds a specific way in his normal voice and then the narrator voice comes into play they all do that and there's been times where when it comes down to some casting i know there's one narrator that i spoke to on the podcast and was a, a great voice and then the he got he gets to go you know do an audition for a book and then and the author wants him to sound like he does on the podcast i'm like so you wanted to pretend he's talking to me and i'm going right I love that <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Like, I mean, seriously, like that's the way I kind of want Seth to sound. It's just like yeah. how he, no, just, just, just talk yourself, Patrick. Don't put anything on. Just, just do what you do. Just do you, 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 you do you, you yeah. do you. That's Even right. that direction <laughs> will do it. I'm sure. You know? Yeah. So a lot of the times we have the authors that are, you know, they're going to do the books. They're going to be eBooks and pair, you know, paperback and hardcover and everything. How did they come to audio for you? How did I get to audio? Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was at a, a book event called Once Upon a Book. The beautiful Stacy Rourke runs it in Frankenmuth, Michigan, which is one of my most favorite places in my home state. I'm a Michigander. And I was there and Jacqueline Protho, who runs the audio flow, walked up to me as I was there. And she said, you know, she looked at the cover and I, I only had the Tory at the time. And she was like, you know, that, that book, um, would, would be good in audio. Have you ever thought about going into audio? And she gave me her business card and I was, and, and she walked away and I was like, oh gosh, I can't even know so much. No, I'm not, I'm not even thinking about that. Mm -hmm. And, and also because I was not an audio person, like I am somebody who studies books as I read them and I learn and I, I I'm a word person. I'm a visual person. Okay. Um, and so for me, it just didn't seem like a draw, but my husband is an audible guy. Like he loves audio stuff. So I came back to him and I told him, he goes, ah, maybe down the road when you have more books out. Right. So a year later, I ran into her again, and it was kind of the same thing. And now I had three books out. She goes, you know, you really need to think about these books would be great in audio. And I was like, <laughs> and I told her at the time, I said, listen, you know, I've always heard that to do audio, a lot of time you have to sell the rights of your books away. And I, I'm not, I'm not willing to do that, you know? Um, but we just had a quick dialogue and whatever. She was lovely. And she gave me her card again and, and she, and she left. So a year later, when Man of War came out, right as COVID started, she's like, you know, Tracy, she messaged me in Facebook. She's like, I still am really interested in these books going to audio. And at the time, my husband and I, our 20 year anniversary trip to Austria had gotten canceled. So I had a bit of money on hand. Um, and, and at the time, nothing much going on in my life, like, because it was COVID. Um, so uh, I said, you know, Doc, let's talk. And so she called me and the rest as they say is history. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's how I got into audio. Um, and I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about narrated, motivated, motivated fans. I knew nothing about any of it. I knew who none of these narrators were. It was simply, I'm going to do an audio book. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I got into audio and here I am now. And actually it was probably the best thing for my author career. Although, um, it was also, a, a, a growing experience too. And I think it is for all authors, right? Yeah, no, I think I think it's it's still as trendy as it is, and it has been really great from a you know from a sales perspective. The numbers just keep climbing. It's a different side of things, and uh, you know sometimes people don't know how to market it, and sometimes people don't know how to right. go about it, and sometimes you don't get that have that opportunity of having someone walk you through the process and say, by the way, so and so is going to happen because so and so is you know narrating it or this or that or you got to right. do that. So it, everybody has different experiences, um, but I'm glad that your books are in audio because I think that's another kind of audience that people now get to enjoy your stories. 
you know? Yeah, I agree. You know, it was, it was the right move for me. It was definitely, um, I'm very surprised how well they sound in audio, right? Like, okay, first of all, I have an amazing, amazing production company and I have an amazing cast. So like, I have to give props where they're due. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was, I was amazed at how they translated into audio. Um, and it's a very emotional experience. I, I don't know for every author, but it was for me to hear them out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was very moving for me and it was very hard for me emotionally to listen to them out loud because of the journey it came to create them. So while it was a fantastic experience and the right move for me, it's very, very hard for me. And, and Jack, God bless her. Seriously. When she gave me the Tory to listen to her, I told her, I go, I don't know if I can do this. I can listen to this mm-hmm. um, because it was such an emotional experience listening to it right out loud because I was reliving the journey. Right. Um, but I still don't listen to all my, to my sex scenes that has not changed. I still don't listen to my sex, scenes. but, um, besides that, um, I have gotten to the point where I listen to them. You know, obviously I do a lot of the help, you know, listening and proofing and those kinds of things to help along. Um, but, uh, but I don't listen to them very often. Um, because for me, I hear something completely different than everyone else as, as every author does. Right. Yes, um, yeah. but I, I hear, I hear a a woman trying to figure out how to start over again, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, it's, it's like it, every time I listen, it's reliving. Um, so I, I really reserve, I really just read again if I need stuff um, for my other books, which often I do, I, I, I tend not to listen, Yeah. Um, but that's, that's no reflection on, on the production. I completely am so proud of it, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's just a reflection on me as an individual. Oh yeah. No, we have a lot of authors that do audiobooks that don't listen to audiobooks. Yeah, and that's yeah. okay. And, you know, that's perfectly fine, regardless of the why. I just think that it's it's one of those where it's allowed individuals that may not have because they don't like to read because they can right because of you know they 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 have a disability. Oh yeah, you know or stuff like absolutely. that. Yeah, yes. or they don't have the time like some of us. Right, or you know what? It's you know just they love the the, the narrator and what that offers you and. And all the, you know, I, I mean, there's so much that you get out of a great audio performance too, right? It's yeah. such a gift. You get Patrick Zeller, you know, I mean, my goodness, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, you know, I mean, I, yeah, as I, as I rave about him, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, yeah, no, I, I totally get why you raving, girl. I got you. Uh, <laughs> I totally understand that. But too, the other thing too, is also, I, I like to emphasize always that regardless of how awesome the narrators are in their performance, if the story isn't there, there's no saving it. I appreciate that more than you know. Mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah. I so, do. Because I mean, um, there are times where I'm going, I love you, fill in the blank narrator, but I ain't doing this because <laughs> the book just not good. Or the other way around, there's been times where the book, I can't get into it from one thing. And then the narrators completely bring it because they're bringing it to life in a different way. So it works out. But again, if the story is not there, there's no saving it, no, regardless who the narrators are. So you have a great story there. You have a good bones, as they say, in some places and stuff like that. So I love it. Thank you. And, you know, at times you, you know, and this is on me as an author, and, and I can't speak for anyone else. At times you can feel eclipsed. Um, um, you can feel eclipsed. I'll be very honest with you. And, and, and that's hard too. Um, it, it really is a symbiotic relationship, right? Like we need the narrator to make the audio come to life and, you know, they, they need the words. Right. So I think that, um, you know, that, that folk, 
is, is important, right? Um, and it, at times as an author, especially as an indie, it's really hard to get noticed, right? In, in a world of so many amazing indies, you know, you it's really hard to get that notice. So sometimes it does take that narrator to to draw attention to what your work, right? And I'm grateful for, for that. I, I will never not say that I am. Um, but you know, you're also that that little person pounding away behind your computer, you know, yeah. praying that someday some reader is going to fall in love with your story. So, you know, there's a lot of heart that, you know, and really tiny little egos that most of us authors have um, that, you know, need to be stroked every once in a while. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And and I have a very small one. I really do. I, I am a self-deprecating, you know, slug. I'm usually like, that really sucks, Tracy, or that wasn't good or whatever. But um, you know, uh, but that I really appreciate that, you know, that people see the story because yeah. there is a journey where, t you know, that every author is trying to take you on. And in through the, the beauty of the narrator's performance, we give it one more layer, you know, we give it another layer. Yeah. And, um, and, and so it, it, it's, it, I just think of it as a symbiotic relationship, mm -hmm. you know, we, we need each other in this business. And so, um, I, I'm, I'm in awe of them. Um, and thankfully they've been very generous to me. So I feel very lucky. Yeah. And again, it just it provides that opportunity to have someone else pick up a book that may not have picked it up again because they're yes. know, motivated or for other reasons, but the story is there. And so they're going to go to book two because trust me, been there, done that. that's the hope, right? <laughs> uh, or they get to book two and they're like, oh my God, the traitor. <laughs> yes. And they're like, Can when's I the next one? Can I make it into the turncoat? Um, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. But that's, it's that whole journey of getting to the story and listening to it um, or reading it and just what, you know, that dun, dun, dun moment of, or realization when there's a masking happening and you're going, oh my God, how, how will they deal with it? You know, right. you know what you right. would do as a person, but I don't know what she gonna do. Cause that's different. Well, and that's an important thing that you're talking about because a lot of readers go into a book and they want a certain outcome. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily get that one. And I think one of the really lovely things about audio fans is they, they, they're a lot more flexible in the journey because they're listening to it and being interpreted it. You know, I had a lot of readers who would get very frustrated where my journey goes in the book form, but it's really interesting in the audio form. Many people are like, Oh my God, I didn't see that coming. No way. You know what I mean? And they're, they're like almost taking it in. Like you take in a movie. Um, so I, I really have a lot. I think audio fans are really different than straight book fans. Um, they're, they're looking for something beyond a book, but not, not quite, not quite a movie. They're looking for something in between. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a really interesting group. And I'm, I'm really proud to have, have my books in this medium, right? Like I'm very, you know, and I'm proud of the work that, you know, we've, we've all done together. Um, they won us over, my cast won us over, right? Yeah. So um, on the Tory, um, I'm in, in obviously the casting director award, right? But ultimately, it's for the beauty of the cast and the work that was done choosing them by Jacqueline mm -hmm. Protho. So um, I, 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 you know, it's great. I, I'm just really proud of this, you know, of this project. Yeah. Absolutely. But in an, in an, in bonus, we got, we get you now as a, as a oh. part of the community. Right. Thank you. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, great. You know, King Grace, you wrote these books and now we have, we have TJ with us. Like, yay. I'll always be in the, in the corner with some kind of snarky comment or really obnoxious, um, you know, mug. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, see, that's, that leads me to this next question. Um, when it comes down to those mugs is that you've done a phenomenal job on social media showcasing your mugs. 
I, yeah. <laughs> Girl, I'm a little jealous of some of those that you have. And then I'm also going, hey, if she can do it, I'm gonna start collecting my own mugs. And I do have some already, but not like to that degree. So how, uh, what is it about the mugs? Tell me your mug journey. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is actually really funny. So there's a moratorium in our house on buying mugs. I have to get rid of one to get a new one. Ha ha ha. So my husband says. Um, I Well, it actually starts with my travels and my real hustle. So when I was forced out of my job at the hospital, um, and I and I call it, and I will call it what it is, I was really forced out of it. I I took a new job in an aspect of my profession that I was not happy about, but now I've grown to love. And I had to travel a lot, like literally every week. I sometimes two times a week I was traveling to a different city, and so I was trying to like commemorate my self-deprecation with every local. I was forced to visit basically. So like I got a mug from cities I didn't like, and I got a city from cities I did like. Okay. And so it's kind of disturbing because I have literally hundreds of mugs just from places I traveled. Okay. And I started to be like, okay, now I'm just going to put my attitude on the goddamn mug because I'm just like not happy about anything. And so it was my way of kind of showcasing where I was at in this world. And so the most obnoxious mugs I could find, I would buy them wherever I go. And um, and then it was now that we're all stuck in Zoom world through COVID and I'm in the Twitter world now, I was just going to be like, all right, well, I'm just going to showcase where I am on my mug every day. And so that's really how it started. I probably have, and I'm not joking, uh, about five, 600 mugs. It's disturbing. I know. Where do I store all them? In my basement. Um, but I've made it a point now to kind of bust them out every day and reflect on where I'm at in this world. Um, so I, I have a saying, and I'm going to say a very naughty word. So kids, no listening now. Um, I always say, I'm just a cunt that way. <laughs> um, and when I get really mad, I'll be like, dude, I'm just a cunt that way. I know you don't like that, but this is how it is. And so my good friend made my mug that says, I'm just a cunt this way. Um, and then my mug that says, um, fuck you, me, it off, everyone, the world, everything, everyone, um, that came from a good friend of mine who knew I was having a very bad day. And so again, now it's taken on a life of its own and people start sending me mugs. I've had fans send me mugs. Yeah. I've had friends send me mugs. And so it's, it, now it's a disease. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so every day I try to put one on social media <laughs> and this is where I'm at today. You know, um, I have a, a new one that says I'm a coffee slug. Cause I've always got to have more. <laughs> I, that's my newest one, um, that I got. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is the mug story. Um, and it's, um, it's definitely taken on a life of its own. And, and, and somehow in the middle of this, people wanted my mugs, like the ones that I would make of my book covers, which were just meant for me. They were never meant to be given away. And then suddenly I had fans who were like, I want one of those mugs. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to sell these now, right? Um, but you know, they were never meant to be sold. They were really only meant to be mine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because sometimes we don't know that we like a certain thing or that we actually do a certain thing and so do you and we're going oh my god kindred spirits you know um well, that's a, so embrace the mug thing girl yeah. mistress of all books <laughs> you know go and embrace it let's i can't wait to see what you bring out you know oh, like yeah. we're gonna have a face we're gonna have a mug face off every day um well, yeah I, i've gotten better at buying the mugs that i like and because they're cute or they represent something you know, show me your mugs. That's what it's going to be. Show me your mugs. Yeah. Um, I'm going to start doing that. Like, you know, Tracy, here's mine today. <laughs> 
this is what I've got, you know, this is my mood today. This is my Monday mood. So yeah, that's kind of where it, that's how it evolved. Yeah. Great. And now, um, Here's the thing too, is like my, um, my husband for uh, one of the holidays or whatever recently, I forgot which one it was, got me because I said it was cute and it doesn't work with guys. I've tried it. Okay. I tried it. Um, but he, uh-huh. so I said it was something was cute. So, and it was one of those press machines to make t-shirts. Oh, okay. Okay. And I wanted to, cause you know, they have it on Michaels and stuff like that. And it's, you know, like I can do gifts and stuff like that. Cause I can get crafty. Um, but the cost of that one versus the cost that the, the machine that does it all, including mugs was the same. Uh-huh. So he got me the one that does ah. hats, mugs, shirts, totes, everything. And uh, so I oh, also cool. have a Cricut. So when you bust it out with all your mugs and stuff, I'm going, once I get the story, I'm going to make her a mug. But you need to have one that says mistress, uh, enchantress of all books. I will my send lady. you, yeah, uh, yeah, my lady. Yeah, I will send you one for me kind of thing. And then I'll, but I'll, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I know now what the first mug is going to be for her. It needs to have sparkles, like gold sparkles all yes, over it. Because yes. you come out of books as an enchantress, <laughs> you know, like you, you need to, or like you can turn it up down and like the gold like swirls around it or something you know like you need to own this you need to yes, brand and, this and i don't do anything half ass so, so now i'm going to start looking into mod podging and, and, and epoxy and all that fun stuff but i don't do anything half-ass either obviously, <laughs> obviously so, <you> know, yeah. <laughs> so go for it embrace it embrace the, the yeah. enchantress <laughs> i love I this i love you <laughs> so aside from collecting mugs um and, and doing research trips to like Boston and things like that. What do you do for fun when you're not working? What do I do for um, drink? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, drink. Um, I, well, I, I do love to cycle. Um, I am an avid cyclist, although I, I have um, a chronic pain problem with my neck that has kind of put that on hold, which is making me a little crazy right now. Um, so I do love to cycle, which I know doesn't sound like fun, but it's very mind focusing for me when you are this flight of ideas like I am, you have to focus them all in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love to do that. Um, I do. Um, I really love my people. Um, I'm really into my friends. You know, when you have a moment in your life where you kind of lose everything and including the people that you were your good friends, I only had a few that stayed with me through what happened at my previous job when I was, was pushed out of it. You really start to covet the people who are close to you. So I would honestly say I, I love my people. Um, and I try to make them the focus of my life, whether it be my mother and my sister or my very close friends. And, you know, if I died today, I think the one thing I would want people to say about me was that I was a good friend. Um, so I really love to be with my friends and COVID really made that on me. I mean, I, I did a lot of zooming. I drove a lot of my friends crazy in text and message. Um, but I really do. I, I, I try to spend all my time with the love because it's precious time and no more than anything. Did we learn that this past year? And I love to travel. That is my other thing. Now, when I, I hated to travel kind of when I started this gig I'm in now, but it's become kind of my obsession, which was also very stifled by COVID. Let me put it that way. Um, but I, I do try to travel a lot now and, and collect experiences. Like, I mean, I just collect life. Like I never take life for granted anymore. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so I, that's, that's my fun things. And I collect Funko Pops because I love Funkos. Um, and I, I have a book collection because I, I adore books and I love art and I just love, um, I, you know, I just, I like being alive and I just like enjoying food and friends. I, I know that sounds really corny, no, um, but great. that's just how I look at life, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, and it feeds my creativity as an author. Like I love to write, like it feeds my life and it, it further emboldens me to be good at my job and to be, you know, just someone who takes in everything around me because I bring it into what I write too. So, so yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I do for fun. I, I, I love to cycle. I love to travel. I love to collect things. I love to read. I love to be with my people. That's awesome. That's it. Yeah. That, that's all you need, you know, in life. Yeah. You know, it, it, when it really comes down to it, um, you know, you don't get to take anything with you, but your yeah. experiences. Yeah. So I, I would rather collect my experiences than, although I do have a nice collection of jewelry, don't get me wrong. Um, but I would like, I really do. I would really rather collect my experiences than, than own anything else in the life. And create those memories with other people to have them have yeah. experiences. Yeah, no, totally, yeah. totally get it. You had mentioned before David Bowie and yeah. YouTube and stuff like that. So when it comes down to songs and it comes over, whether you're at the grocery store or in your car or hanging out with other people, when that song comes out, you have no choice but to sing along with it. What song is that? <laughs> oh my God, there's a lot of them. Um, <laughs> um, uh, nine nine problems, but a bitch ain't one. I don't know. Like that's what I always scream in my car. Um, but no, um, I, honestly, uh, one of the songs is um, is "Let's Dance" by David Bowie. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I heard that. I remember I had to have been like five years old the first time I heard it, and I remember seeing the video with the red shoes and you know him dancing around and thinking, "Oh my god, that is the most beautiful man I've ever seen." And my sister was like, "You're weird," um, and he's weird. Um, and I fell in love with him from that moment. And so when I hear that song, it like takes me back to that time and I just want to dance. Mm -hmm. So that is definitely like that song is one of the ones that I just kind of, I know it's not like free falling in, you know, what is it in Rain Man? Um, but it's one of those songs that I just love to sing with. Um, one of the other ones I love to sing with is, um, and I like to belt out really bad in my car, um, is, uh, <laughs> is I, I I'm just trying not to laugh at myself because I love Adam and the ants and I love stand and deliver um and I'll yell stand and deliver really loud <laughs> in my car and you know everybody's driving by like oh my god that woman's weird um and I do like to shout to the sex pistols every once in a while too um so so there's a few yes that's good <laughs> funny story real quick on that um David Bowie song I you know I think I was about maybe five or six, but I remember being a little older. I still had um, vinyl when it was, you know, at the yes! time. Vinyl. <laughs> I, I had the the small one, the 45, was it? Yes, the 45. I had that song and I would always put it on and then just, you know, snap at it and dance. Do the, and stuff do like the that. jam because that's yeah. got such a great groove to it. Yeah. yeah. And it's so not David Bowie. If you're into his catalog, it was so anti- his work, right? Yeah. Um, yet it's so, so brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I love him. I love his work. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite word? My favorite word. Mm -hmm. Oh, my favorite word. Um, um, 
trepidation. <laughs> well, how you say it. Trepidation. Yeah. Trepidation. Because it's full of everything. That word is full of everything, which is essentially trepidation. It's it's that angst that, you know, that, uh, yeah, I love that long, difficult word and what's charged within it. I use it in my books with much trepidation. <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite curse word? Cunt. <laughs> okay. Cool. So we have- definitely cunt. I don't give a fuck. Fuck is too easy. Cunt is offensive. If I'm going to offend somebody, I want to offend them for real. <laughs> How this should be. If you're going to do it, do it right. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to if you're going to mess up someone's world, you might as well mess it up right. Yeah. <laughs> so we are at a part now where it's nice and fun, and I've given my um my guests uh, homework where we get to play a game. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. Where oh, good we're- Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest has to tell us three things about themselves as the title says it. One of them is a lie and I have to figure out which one is that lie. And I always usually say we, because I always want to have the listeners play along with us. So in the comments, let us know what you thought was the lie and if you got it right. So TJ, whenever you're ready, start you telling us your three things. Okay. I once, pre- I once presented data on alcohol withdrawal while drunk. Um, I, um, I have a tendency to talk to the characters in my books while under anesthesia. I actually met Tom Hiddleston while he was shooting Only, Lover- Only Lovers Left Alive in Detroit. Oh my God. I really had to work work at this. It was so funny asking my friends. So what do you think is true and what don't? And and the stuff that they said to me was like, I'm like, you really believe I would do that? You really believe that? You know, it was kind of funny when I, when I heard their thoughts. So I really had to do my homework on this one. (laughs) I thank you for taking it serious. Uh, (laughs) And these are really good and all very possible knowing what we know now. Um, (laughs) The Tom Hiddleston is a lie. It is, but it has a good story behind it. Mm-hmm. So, so very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was shooting um, Only Lovers Left Alive in Detroit. And it was right across from the hospital where I worked. And I was, I basically was having someone cover me in the ER and I was going to run out and try to get a signature. Well, we had this massive accident come in and there were eight patients that died and I was in recess for hours and didn't get to go out. And so by the time I got out, they were packing up and I was heartbroken, heartbroken. So the guy who was there left over from the set, he's like, you know, here's his agent's number. Maybe you can write her and ask, right? So I went home and I was just like kicking, kicking, you know, corners and dirt and angry and huffing and puffing. And so I sat down and wrote a letter to the, and, and sent an email to this woman. And she was like, listen, she goes, Tom is actually pretty good about signatures. Usually if you do something clever, he will respond back. So I was like, huh, what can I do with this? So the writer in me came out. So I asked four of his famous characters for their signature in character. So I was like, oh, low key, great one. I fall on my knees at your feet, you know, but I beg you, please sign this, you know, piece of paper and you can own my body and me for the rest of your life or whatever, something like that. And so I did this in four characters and sent this out into the world. World. And that explained at the end of the letter, you know, listen, I'm actually so and so and I worked at this hospital, and this is what happened. And I explained my really very sad story. Well, nothing happened. 
So six months later, this package says, do not bend. And it comes in the mail, you know, from England, from through DHL. And my husband's like, how the hell did you order something from it? in England. I'm like, I don't know. I didn't order anything. So I opened it up and he had signed a picture for me and wrote a very sweet comment on it. So it does have a, a good ending, but it is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel so better. The, yeah. Yeah. So the other two are actually true. I really do talk to my characters under anesthesia and I really did present alcohol withdrawal while drunk. Oh my God. <laughs> that was a very very funny moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing all this with us. We appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah. And I got my groove back. The last couple of times that I played this with I completely like not gate got in the right answer. But um, I'm going, hmm, from what I know, Tom Hiddleston's alive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was such a bummer too. I, I'm yeah. still, like, I'm still not over that. Like the signature is still, I'm still not over it. Like I secretly, you know, I, I have a lot of angst about that still. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but it has a good ending. It's a good story. It does. Yeah. I mean, it does, but I did. I mean, I would have, I would have surpassed the, the signature for a glimpse of his beautifulness. So, you know. Well, now it's out in the world. Who knows now you'll be when we get back to traveling or maybe he's coming to do something, you know, nearby. So we'll figure it out. Yep. There you go. Right. Yeah. So before we go, I know that you touched on it a little bit, but can you just tell us again what you're currently working on and what's coming out next for you? So I am currently working on book five, The Rebel, and that is um, comes right out. The, actually, it runs alongside the traitor in the turn code. So what was Alexi doing in those stories? Well, now we're about to find out. So that is book five. Um, and that is hopefully if everything goes right, going to come out in winter 2022. Um, and we are currently doing some work and prepping things for the turncoat audio, uh, more to come. I can't say too much about that yet, as well as man of war audio. Um, so more to come. I can't say too much on that yet. Obviously, as you know, there's all those things that are, you know, contracting and all that fun stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and then I will also be starting, um, hopefully the minute man, um, you know, while, uh, while the, the rebel is in edits. Um, so getting that kind of off the ground, I'm also doing an update to the script of the turncoat too. So the book that's out there right now, the story is not going to change. It's just going to get a little spicier and a little more exciting for, um, for the, for the audio, because, you know, I, I, I just like love to force them to say these naughty little words. Right. Um, so yeah, thank you. That's, that's <laughs> where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. D John Carlyle does talk dirty his share, although in 1800s speak, a uh, 1700s speak, right? But he still does talk dirty. Yeah, that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So present to all my audio fans. There you go. I will have you will have more John Carlyle talking naughty, um, and a lot of Alexi McKesson talking naughty when we get to the rubble. A lot of it. <laughs> nice, perfect. Well, there you have it, guys. So we now know what to add to our calendars, and of, of course, you know. Make sure that you follow TJ on social media because she'll share when things are coming out specifically. So that'd be great. Um, but thank you for being my guest today for this year's audiobook loving series, TJ. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you. you, enchantress of books, my lady. <laughs> I love that. She does that. She's actually does her emails to me like my lady. And I'm going, oh, such <laughs> a dork. <laughs> But everyone, thank you for hanging out with us today and embracing our darkness. Uh, and we hope that you've enjoyed this interview as well as the series. And until next time, happy listenings. Thank you. 
The Audiobook Lovin' Podcast has special Patreon incentives. Join today to receive early access to podcast episodes, exclusive content with our guests, and much more. Support the podcast by becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash audiobooklovin. Thank you for your support. Thank you for joining us on the Audiobook Lovin' series, hosted by Viviana, Enchantress of Books. We hope you have enjoyed this episode as well as the series. We've included audio samples of our guests' work within the post for you to check out. Please make sure to visit the main page, link within the post, to learn more about the series, the authors, and the narrators. Please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to this series if you enjoy today's episode. Make sure to follow us on our social media platforms and subscribe to the Viviana Enchantress of Books newsletter. Until next time, happy listening. Audiobook Lovin' hopes you've enjoyed this program.